I mean, if one door gets shut on your face, find another one. I mean, it's, it's the same thing like fire, fighting fire. If one rage doesn't work out, look for the next rage or look for the next road. It's the same thing I tell people. It's, it's the same concept, just different situations. Welcome to Life with Fire, a podcast that explores the critical role fire plays in America's forests, lands, and communities. I'm your host, Amanda Monti, and today we're hearing from Mondo Perez, a current El Dorado hotshot and a former inmate firefighter in California. Mondo was kind enough to speak with me after having only been home for a few days following a pretty rowdy and quite busy fire season. So I'm incredibly grateful to him for taking time out of his first week at home to get on the phone with me. This episode is a little bit different from past episodes. For one, I crowdsourced the questions that I asked Mondo because this topic has been heavily reported on in the last few months and I wanted to provide a platform for people who wouldn't normally have an opportunity to ask these questions. Second, I've wanted to start finding more ways to humanize wildfires, especially since most of my previous episodes have talked about concepts, solutions, problems, and science, while rarely giving a voice to those working on the ground and those most heavily impacted by wildfires. In this episode, Mondo and I talked about his experience working in the inmate fire program in California, about the transition to working for federal crews, misconceptions about inmate crews, and yes, we even talked about whether prison food or fire food was better, but you'll have to wait until the end of the episode to hear his answer. Mondo mentions this in the episode, but it's also worth noting that when he worked as a firefighter during his incarceration, which ended in 2010, the work was entirely voluntary. Things have changed since then. Uh, Many inmate fire crews in California are no longer voluntary, which, of course, fundamentally changes the way they operate. Still, Mondo provides some good perspective on the experiences of inmate firefighters, as well as the occasionally difficult path into full-time employment after incarceration. Anyways, let's hear more from Mondo. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so I'll just, I'll take it way back. So I started off fighting fire with the inmate hand crews. Mm-hmm. Um, first year was as a juvenile um, down in LA County. Uh, I started with this uh, camp called uh, Camp Roth. I did about, let's say, a little bit over a year there. Um, it was pretty basic. Um, it was, I guess you would call it like a type two hand crew, not really an IAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, did fight fire, but it wasn't um, direct like I do now. Um, so I started off there, did my time there, went home, uh, got in trouble again as a kid. <laughs> and then I ended up in the penitentiary and uh, I did some time there behind the wall of uh, five years to be exact. And then um, people started telling about the camp program. I didn't know much about it besides what I was um, had already experienced as a juvenile. And so I said, what the heck, I'll give it a shot um, back then. It was kind of a apply for it and see if you qualify type deal. Um, I applied. They got back to me and said I did qualify, which was kind of a surprise to me, um, given the time I had to do and, and what I've already done. And they sent me to Jamestown. Jamestown is the training center for the camp programs, at least for the southern half of the state. There's another one that trains the northern half, which is uh, in Susanville. Oh, yep. So I did my training there. It's pretty pretty basic training. Um, it's kind of tens and eighteens type deal. You take a couple of tests, real real uh, basic. 
um, past that, then they do they have you do the physical portion of it, which is you go out there and you walk some miles, you jog some miles, you run some miles. Uh, pretty basic pull-ups, sit-ups, um, push-ups, stair-stepping, stuff like that. And once they deem you fit, then they'll put you on the list to get, get you to a camp. Um, and then from there, I went to a camp, uh, it was Camp Mount Buyan up in uh, the Mariposa area. Um, I did, let me see, I think I'll run a year there. Mm -hmm. I put in for a transfer because I was trying to get closer to home down south. Uh, for the people who don't know, Mariposa is kind of uh, Central California-ish. Um, so I went, I did get the transfer. It's, a good, it's called the good guy transfer. So you stay clean, don't get in trouble, do your work, and they'll consider transferring you. So I applied for that based on the fact that um, the family was down south and I want to get closer. So um, they gave me the good guy transfer, went down south to camp down there. And then from there, I kind of started going to different camps. Awesome. You mentioned qualifications. Like what are some of those things that they're looking for? Uh, in the inmate system? In the inmate program, yeah. Um, I think it's so you have to have, at the time when I did it, you have to have under five years left on your term. Um, anything more than that disqualifies you. You also have to go through a board. So you sit on a panel of three people, the warden, the system warden, and I'm pretty sure it's probably like the camp coordinator or something. Um, they ask you a few questions. Uh, what's your goals? What do you want out of this? Um, and they deem you either fit or unfit. Um, so I sat through that based on, because I had still I had five years left on my, on my term. Um, I believe I, I, they disqualified me, disqualified me the first time. Uh, they said I wasn't ready yet. Uh, went through the physical fitness portion and then I passed that and I went to board again um, and then they deemed me fit. Um, it just, I'm, I'm guessing they're just covering their bases when they ask you these questions or whatnot. Totally. Do you remember your, your answer to those questions? Like, why were you interested in, in kind of doing that? I guess you'd already done it a little bit, but. Yeah. Um, so my, my, my thing was um, pretty much I wanted to get out from behind the wall. It's in, uh, from what I was hearing from people, um, it's a good opportunity to get out from behind the wall, kind of a stagnant life in there, um, get opportunities to be out, serve the public. Um, my main thing was being to get a little bit more. Um, like I said, I didn't really know too much about the program, um, I mean, as far as being an adult system. Um, so my main thing was just hearing the good things you have. They, they say you eat better. Um, you see your family more frequently. Um, it's not so much, uh, you don't have as much prison politics going on there. Um, what I mean by prison politics, pretty much the stuff that goes on behind the wall amongst the inmates. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my main thing. I think that was my, um, obviously I try to give them the answers they wanted to hear. <laughs> right. <laughs> give myself a good, uh, the best uh, possible outcome there, but um, my intentions were good. I mean, based on knowing that I did have some kind of uh, insight on fighting fire when I was in the juvenile system. Um, so my intentions were good. I knew I liked it when I tried it the first time and uh, I wanted to see where it would take me. Absolutely. And now is this opportunity sort of advertised to you guys as, um, as almost like a privilege or what did you guys perceive it as a privilege? Um, so it wasn't advertised, um, by the staff or anybody in there. I heard it through the inmates. Oh, okay. Uh, have gone through the camp and came back. Cause obviously people do fail at it. Um, either get in trouble or get sent back behind the wall. Cause it is a privilege. I mean, and, uh, once you do get in the system, once you do get to the training facility, they do tell you it's a privilege to be there. Um, so you got, you kind of got to, uh, keep a good, uh, standing with them. Um, as far as not getting in trouble, doing what they ask. 
um, working as hard as you can when they ask you to, whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, as a privilege, and like I said, I got most of my info from uh, inmates that had been there before. So that was all the intel from that because you don't, you wouldn't hear for, about it behind the wall unless uh, someone had been there or you ran across the right people at the right time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Are you, there's, you know, there's been a lot of discussion lately, and this is kind of why I wanted to get your perspective. Um, a lot of people are saying that inmate firefighting is very exploitative and, and that it can be kind of akin to slavery. That word's been thrown around a lot. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious what your opinion on that is, because it feels, I, I don't know. I just, I have no idea. I have no idea what that experience is like. So I'm curious, I'm curious how you felt about that. So I guess it depends on who you ask and how they feel about the situation. So me personally, this is just my, my, uh, my insight on how I felt about it. Uh, first of all, when I went through it, it was, um, it was optional. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you request to be there and either you make it or you don't. So for me, it wasn't a form of slavery. It wasn't, um, it wasn't all bad. Um, I guess that's me just seeing things on the positive side. I'm always trying to see things, uh, for the better. Um, mm -hmm. Can it be better? Yes. Um, some of the living conditions ain't the best. Um, the food you get, um, I mean, on regular days ain't the best, especially for the work you do. It's not adequate um, calories wise and, and health wise. I mean, just eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and bologna sandwiches every day ain't going to cut it. Um, I mean, it'll get you by, but, but back to the question, you know, as far as slavery, I don't think it's slavery. When I went through it, um, I could touch on talking to a couple of uh, ex-inmates that were in there and are now in fire, one of them being my coworker. I won't say his name because I didn't ask him for that permission, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, he was there recently and another guy that um, just paroled within the last year and he's in fire now up here with me, a uh, different crew. Um, so I talked to them before talking to you just to get a better understanding of what goes on now compared to what happened when I was in there. And it sounds like it's not, uh, it's not voluntary anymore. Um, so when I went through, like I said, you, you search it, you ask for it, you put in a request or uh, paperwork in for you. If you qualify, you qualify. Now it sounds like talking to these guys, it's if you have the, um, if you fit the criteria, they automatically put you in that situation. And if you refuse, they write you up. It's called the, uh, I think it's called 215. I don't remember correctly, but I think it's called a 215. It's a write-up for uh, um Dis disciplinary measures so you get a 215 and the first one if you if you stay clean within a certain amount of time let's say 30 days 60 days uh you get your time back because they add uh, 30 days uh, depending on the on the severity of the write-up they'll add 30 days to your time so you could go from having six months to seven months on your time just based on one write-up um but if you get if you keep on refusing the program obviously if you get a second write-up you lose you forfeit that first 30 days so now you have seven days i mean seven months on your time and another 30 over your head. Um, so from what I gathered from them, it's um, now it's kind of thrown on your lap. And if you don't go through with it, you start getting write-ups. Um, so it's kind of forced on you. I mean, it is forced on you because nobody wants to get more time in there for refusing to do a program they don't want to do. Uh, one thing that I've always came across, it's not for everybody. That program is, it's, it's a tough program. Um, the training part of it, when you first get into it, it's pretty simple, pretty basic. Um, anybody that can run a mile under 10 minutes will have no problem um, getting past it. Uh, you make more than that, but um, uh, once you get there, the, the grind is pretty, pretty tough. They, uh, they expect a lot from you. Um, they put you in 
situations that not everybody is ready for. I mean, I think the training could be better, uh, more in depth, treat them more as uh, thinkers, not just grunts. Um, that was my big thing. Cause I remember looking back, being in the situation I was in and I, looked back, I was like, man, I, if I known now what I, I mean, if I known then what I'd know now, I would have been like, holy moly, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. um, so back then it was more of a just uh, skating by, maybe getting lucky in a lot of situations and then just hoping for the dude that does know what's going on, which is the foreman, the captain takes care of you at the right time. I mean, when things do go wrong. I mean, luckily I never got hurt in there, but I did see people get hurt in there and it's, it's not pretty, especially when things can be avoided. Absolutely. Do you think that you were put into those situations, like having gotten experience on hotshot crews, you know, where you kind of are getting into putting in, getting put into those complex situations. Did you ever feel like maybe you were um, not being discriminated against, but that you were being put into situations that you, that you shouldn't have been put into um, because of the type of crew you were, or I don't know, is that like a. Well, yeah. Um, I don't want to make this sound bad or uh, like, like we were getting tra treated as less than people. But yeah, we were definitely in situations where a lot of people shouldn't have been in um, based on just not knowing fire, especially at, at that level. Because um, they do treat you like a type one crew. Um, they consider you a type one crew even though you don't have the qualifications I mean, by our standards. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I do believe that a lot of people are put in situations that they ain't ready for. I mean, because you think about it, you have, let's say you have 20 people, um, only one of them from that whole crew has the qualification, which is your foreman or your captain. The rest right. of the people have just basic 40 uh, and you get thrown out day one and here you go, especially during, if you come in during fire season. I mean, if you're fortunate enough to come in during the winter to uh, an inmate camp and you kind of pick up quick and you kind of see what's going on and you learn for yourself. But I mean, if you get there day one during middle of fire in July, I mean, you better learn quick. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that those crews get treated unfairly, I guess, if that's the right word. Um, yeah. There, there's better ways of doing it, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what kind of qualifications are foremen or superintendents expected to have for you guys? On the hotshot crews or in the inmates? In the inmate crews. So, oh man, most of them are engineers. I don't know what their qualifications are, mm -hmm. uh, different agency. Um, so I don't want to speculate, but most of them are engineers um or higher and then at cal fire i believe they're they're uh they're just called captains so la county had engineers um and then cal fire had captains i don't I, like i said i don't know what their calls are yeah most of them are pretty savvy if you're in the if you're a foreman or a captain in the in the inmate system you obviously have some time in um to get there um and like most of them are savvy um but i mean Put yourself in their shoes. I'm not making no excuses, like I said, but um, yeah. yourself in their shoes. You have 20 people who are green as hell and they're, you're trying to wrangle. It's like wrangling cats. <laughs> 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 trying to teach them uh, everything you know pretty quickly. And it, it's pretty hard and I get it. I mean, it's not their fault. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't yeah. know No, that's great. Um, do, you, do you think that there are things, you know, maybe like, ways that the public perception of inmate crews um, are wrong? Are there any misconceptions, I guess, of inmate crews that from your experiences and from uh, what you've read about them in, in the coming years? Yeah, so I, I kind of stood away from reading about inmate crews um, for a while because I just didn't want to, I, I, I got um, I got tired of hearing people's opinions on, yeah. on obviously because I came from there. Mm -hmm. 
so I kind of stood away from that. And then lately I've been kind of getting back into it because of the, the propositions for people to clean their records. And then you kind of see what people say and how they feel about it. Um, but the biggest misconception is that it's voluntary right now. Um, it was when I was there. And like I said before, um, now talking to people that have been there recently, um, it's not voluntary anymore. It's more of a, we need numbers. So they're going to push And that's what it comes down to. It's a numbers thing. So talk, I ran into um, an old foreman of mine uh, on the August complex. And he told me that that camp that I was at uh, went from having four to five crews to down to one crew. Um, so it's a numbers game for them. I'm, obviously, they want to fill the seats and get people out there, get hands on the, I mean, boots on the ground, hands on the tools to, to do the job because, I mean, it's a, it's a costing. Um, but, I mean, the big, like I said, the biggest misconception is that it's now that it's voluntary. It sounds like it's not. Um, they make it seem like it's voluntary, but, I mean, when you don't succumb to what they want, you kind of get reprimanded. I, I don't think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. We should have a choice uh, to be put in that situation, especially the job that we do. And what was your last year uh, working with the inmate crew again? Oof, it was 2000, I paroled in 2010, January. So my last year working on the actual crew was 2009. So oh, okay. I, yeah, my parole day was uh, early January in 2010. How many years do you, so you did the five and then did you, you did the one as a juvenile? Yeah. And you were how old when you got into it then? Uh, as a juvenile, I was uh, I remember I was 17 when they put me in the program. I had to turn 18 to be a, to be able to be put on a crew. That was their standards. Um, so I was 17, got in the program. I just did my training, and then uh, when I on my 18th birthday, I remember they moved me out of the um, regular dorm into a fire dorm. And so I was 18. And kind of transitioning into your into your hotshot experience, um, can you tell me kind of what that experience was like? Like the process of becoming. I don't know if you were on another crew before getting on Eldorado, but um, just kind of the process of maybe getting in with the feds, uh, how how much of a difficulty that was, or maybe it wasn't as difficult as it's sometimes made out to be. I think I think it's uh, on a case by uh, case by case uh, basis. Because so when I started, it was a little harder for me because of parole. So I, I paroled as a violent offender, so my parole was a little stricter than than normal people. Mm -hmm. um, so I got out and um, I had a cousin who. Um, uh, was also an inmate on an inmate hand crew. We were together in there <laughs> for like a year and a half. Um, and he, he paroled before me and he said, hey, you need to check this program out, which was um, uh, Rio Hondo Wildland Fire Academy out of uh, Rio Hondo College down in Whittier. And um, it kind of intrigued me a little bit. I kind of wasn't like, I thought, ah, school, I don't got time for school. I need to get out and, and hit the road running. I mean, work and support the family. Um, but when I got out and I tried to apply for jobs, my processor said, no, said, you can't do that. You need to stay local, stay in county, and you're definitely not doing fire. So, all right. So I said, what about this college and this, this academy? He said, yeah, do that for now, but um, you can't do anything else. So I jumped into the, to the academy, and it's probably the best thing I ever did. Um, it, it was a hard academy. It, it taught me what I needed to know, and it, it goes further than just basic training. Yeah, it's a 60, it was a 16-week program, uh, Monday through Friday. Um, pretty much eight hour days minimum. Uh, it was like a full-time job, mm -hmm. uh, but it was worth it. So I, I did that, um, graduated. I didn't get hired right away. So they put me on their uh, type two hand crew, which is called the Roadrunners Crew 77. Um, I was the crew, I got voted crew lead. So it's kind of like the, the lead firefighter for the whole guys. Cause I had, I had mostly uh, the most experience there based on my, my inmate time. Mm -hmm. So I did that for, uh, 
did one role with them. And then after that, they started lending me out to other crews. Uh, I, I jumped on with um, a type two IA crew out of Sequoia. I did two roles with them. And then I finished off the year with the hotshot crew down in, off the Angeles. Um, so that was home for me. The Angeles was home for me. Uh, I, I tried to stay uh, close to them, but I couldn't get on right away. Um, the hiring process was a little different back then and I didn't get no, no uh, interest calls or nothing. So I jumped on the first call that came, which was out of uh, region three in New Mexico, Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. um, I had a type six engine call me and I was desperate for a job. So I jumped on that. Um, I got to hit a little bit, uh, let me back up real quick. So when I got on um, the, the type two crew out of the Angeles, um, uh, by that time I had a different pro officer that was more lenient and he seen that I was doing pretty good. So he was like, hey, just do your job. Um, if you take off out of town, just let me know where you're going and uh, we'll make sure it's all right. Um, so back to region three, by that time I was already off parole and um, I did my time over there. Same thing happened over there. I was able to scab on with the hotshot crew out there. Um, did good enough for them to like me to offer me a job for the for the following season, uh, but my wife was got pregnant, <laughs> uh, so that changed uh, my decisions. So I uh, I told them thank you, but I, I was trying to get something closer to home because I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want to uproot her and move her around. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, I applied over here in California, and that's when uh, El Dorado um, gave me a phone call and gave me a chance. Um, uh, it's a funny story because I, I had applied to other shot crews and um, the, the crew I was interested in further up north um, couldn't give me the offer. So um, I was kind of like debating what should I do. And then Eldorado called me and it was my, uh, my uh, at the time he was my captain. His name is Aaron Humphrey. Pretty sure everybody knows who he is by now. Um, so he called me up and he offered me a spot and I was kind of like, well, man, yeah, I'll take it. Um, again, I wanted to secure a job before I didn't get nothing. Um, so I took it and his, his, his thing to me was just uh, just don't back out on me. Cause you know how it goes. Sometimes people say yes and back out at the end. So I told him, no, you got my word. And I, I stayed true to my word cause the other crew that I was interested in called me like minutes later <laughs> and they offered me a job and I told him I couldn't take it. And uh, so that's how that worked out. And uh, uh, yeah, I got on with the crew for a season. I thought I was ready. I, I thought I knew uh, what it took. Oh man, I got on the crew and I got my butt whooped. <laughs> yeah, that first, that first couple of weeks, I was getting beat down and uh, I was tired all the time. Um, and I, I didn't do a good job of taking care of my body. Um, I wish I knew then what I know now about recovery. Um, but I, I, all I wanted to do was uh, put forth the good uh, show and, and show these guys that I was able to do the job. Um, so yeah, I got I got beat down every day. And uh, that's something I tell the dudes and nowadays, anybody who asks, how do I get on someone, you gotta train hard and, and get tough mentally. Cause like I said, I thought I knew it and uh, it was a rude awakening. It was fun though. I mean, I look back now and I'm glad I went through it, but yeah. So I got on with them and um, they kind of tried me out on the hand tool for a little bit. And then after uh, after our first fire, um, they switched me to uh, lead saw with my saw partner. And uh, after that, we just took off running. I mean, it was a lot harder cause obviously I'm on a chainsaw now, but it was fun and I'm glad I got the, 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 the chance to uh, experience that and, and go through it. You're still in El Dorado. You're, are you a captain now? No, not far from captain. I wish. Um, oh. Yeah, I wish. Um, everybody always thinks that. I mean, um, <laughs> I figure like, I was like, well, like 11, what, nine years, eight years, I'm I've guessing. Been, I've only been on El Dorado uh, the four or seven years and the crew six years. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm fairly new. I'm actually, I was the baby on the crew for a long time because that, <laughs> that crew has no movement, man. So um, after my first season, um, 
again, Aaron, we call him Hump. He uh, He's like, hey, dude, you should apply for the apprenticeship. And I had no idea what it was. <laughs> I was like, what is that? And then he's like, uh, it's how you get on to be permanent and whatnot. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. And I kind of put it off. I wasn't really interested in it. Or I didn't know much about it. So I was kind of putting it off. And then when the apps opened up and it was getting close uh, close to closing, um, he asked me if I had put in for it. And I said, no, and we were on a fire. And he's like, what? He's all right. And he said, early morning after chores, he's like, uh, get a laptop, sit down, and you're, you're, you're punching in your, your app. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's serious. So I was like, and I'm glad he did push me because uh, I, I mean, I'm here now. You know what I mean, but so I did it, applied, I got the offer. Um, I took it and then they put me on an engine for, uh, for obviously for my apprentice time. I did a season uh, on a type three and then I came back. Uh, I got lucky that, uh, like I said before, this crew doesn't have a lot of movement. I mean, people have been on the crew. He was on the crew for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and people after that have been, I got one of my captains been there like 13 years or, or something like that. Um, so I got lucky when I got offered a spot permanently on the crew. Um, he asked me if I wanted it. I said, yes. And he said, all right, well, it's time to move your family. So that's what I did when I took the job. I uh, sold my house in SoCal and I bought up here and then uh, it worked out awesome. So yeah, I have seven years on the forest, um, six on the crew. I just finished my sixth year on the crew and uh, I'm a senior firefighter. Um, waiting for my turn patiently. Um, I don't want to go anywhere else. Um, and if I did, it would have to, it would go, it would be back down to SoCal, but I love it up here. Um, they took care of me since day one. Um, that's one thing that I take, uh, take Heidi cause um, they didn't, uh, based on everything, my background and whatnot, they didn't, they didn't kind of like look at me sideways or anything. They, uh, they treated me as a normal human being, a hard worker. And they gave me uh the opportunities it would get anybody else that came in without my background. So I, I, I appreciate that. I'm loyal to a fault. Um, but yeah, so now I'm just waiting for a spot to open up and it might be sooner rather than later um, from what I'm seeing, but yeah. I'm patiently waiting. I don't want, it's a good crew. Um, I like their program uh, from top to bottom. I like, uh, I like what the new soup has um, envisioned. Um, I agree with it hundred percent. I'm here for the long haul. I mean, unless something happens, obviously my body breaks down or <laughs> uh, from being that happened. But it, <laughs> I also saw you guys on Vice, and that was uh, that was pretty rad. I feel like that's probably like the best um, the best indication of what fire is actually like that I've seen in a documentary. Like, oftentimes it feels a little, you know, like over glorified. But I thought that was I thought that was a really good example of what it's actually like and what we're kind of going through. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that one was nerve wracking. Uh, I so bet. No <laughs> short doc with. Uh, that guy, Michael Anthony Adams, he's a super good dude, man. I uh, The first time we did it, we did it through uh, ABC and ABC 10 News. Um, that's on YouTube. Um, that was more in depth, kind of like a overall crew thing. This, the second one we did with Vice was more of the, the new soup. And the new soup is Ben Strawn. Oh, yep. Okay, yeah. um, Aaron was the guy who uh, was here 20 years prior um, and he resigned and now works for um, PG&E. Oh, nice. Okay, gotcha. Um, 
so yeah, the 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 new one was uh more falling around. Band is a new soup, and, and uh, it was it was a hard time for him because of COVID and whatnot. And I mean, first years of soup is hard as it is already, um, but then throwing in COVID and all the stuff we had to go through up and down with uh, being quarantined and then uh, adjusting to the CDC guidelines and the forest guidelines, it, it was hard. I mean, I give him props. I think I would have stressed out if I was in that situation. I would have been like, oh, whatever, I'm out. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, Plus, so, how many uh, hours of overtime did you guys get this year? Was it a big summer? I'm guessing it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were, I think, right at a thousand. It was, it was, um, thousands good for us. We were hoping for more. I mean, obviously, every, every year we, we, uh, we want more, but, um, um, yeah, like I said, it started off slow mm -hmm. in the beginning, but after that, it picked up and we didn't stop at all. Like, we barely got back. I think uh, when I uh, emailed you back, we were, we barely been back, uh, was it a uh, Sunday we got back? Yeah, I think it was Sunday. Dang. So yeah, we we're gone nonstop, and uh, um, it was tough. I mean, the season was good, hard work. It was a lot of hard work, and then just um, what made it more complex was the the fact of, of um, we didn't have as much resources as we normally have out there. It was a uh, kind of made you uh, think more on the spot and and trying to adjust to your tactics and what's going on and it, it, it was it was it was hard I mean even I in my position I was like whoa man this is a lot but we figured it out and I mean we did what we could what we had totally that's the name of the game I think yeah. um sort of I mean operationally this is changing changing pace a little bit but I'm kind of curious what the biggest differences are operationally between how you guys operated on on the inmate crew and then how you're now operating on uh with the hotshot crew like kind of what are some differences that you see on the line or that you see maybe you know with overhead and with operations in general well the biggest thing that I see with that is the the knowing so like I look back when I was in the crew I didn't know what was going on big picture wise I didn't know anything the only thing we knew was Here's your line, dig as fast as you can, as much as you can for as long as you can. Um, and and that, that's what it came down to. I mean, even like, I look back and you know, I mean, I, I don't remember them ever beefing us up. Like certain ones did, I said, there were some good ones in there that kind of, hey, dude, if something goes wrong, go this way or go that way, or this is this what we're going down. But then you had the days where, I mean, even they get worn out, they're only human. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just, this is what I know here right now, this piece of ground, that's it. And on a hotshot crew, the thing that I, I love um, even now, I mean, even if it's the smallest bit of information is that they share information, they tell us big picture stuff. This is what we're doing here. This is going on the fire. This is what we're trying to do overall. Um, between divisions, um, it just, um, you, you, you see the complexity of it. You see the mitigation process, you see um, tactics unfold and then you're like, wow, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's amazing what you see and what, what can be done with the right people in place. Um, and obviously with the right people with the right calls. Um, on an MA crew, you don't see that because like I say, you only have one guy that knows everything that's in charge and the rest of us are just kind of like, okay, put your head down and scrape or cut or it is. And I mean, you can ask the questions, but at the same time he had the, on an MA crew, the captain of the foreman has a lot on their plate because obviously they're not just trying to take care of us, they're babysitting us and they also have their job on. Yeah, so on, um, so you have one dude that that's pretty much has the whole workload on his, on his shoulders, and compared to a hotshot crew, you have ten permanents that uh, you can distribute that load with. Um, so you can have, let's say, the superintendent has the big picture stuff. The two captains have the tactics. Let's say they're running ships, they're running those, and you have the seniors and the, the squaddies. They could be doing the same thing, running 
their squad, running a dozer, running a ship. So you kind of share that 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 um, that load, and it's it's way more effective, um, less stressful, and I think um, uh, it, it uh, eliminates the risk factor of, of people getting hurt because you have one person um, trying to do everything and kind of gets uh, distracted with what's going on and, and might lose sight of, of the big picture stuff or, the, or what's going on immediately in front of them. So mm -hmm. it's a big difference and um, you can see it. I mean, people don't see that unless you've been on both sides of the fence. And it's <laughs> looking back and I'm like, wow, man, we got lucky a lot. Cause I did see, we did have close calls before uh, when I was on the MA crew and um, in hindsight, you can see the band said, well, that could have been prevented um, if we had this person here or these two people here that could have shared um, some kind of information to somebody and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's, it's different big time. It's, it's night and day. I and can it's imagine. No yeah, it's no fault to them. Like I said, it's, it is what it is. Absolutely. I don't know if you feel like explaining some of those close calls or some of the sort of common like communication breakdowns or operational breakdowns that you saw on the line as an inmate. So the one I experienced the first time by myself, uh, we were, it was actually a, a fuel reduction project. Um, we were doing, uh, it was all manzanita. We we're cutting manzanita, piling it, burning it. Um, and it was just us, my crew itself, and then the, and the, and the captain. And the wind started picking up. We were burning piles already. And <clears throat> I guess it wasn't expected or the captain didn't expect it to turn out the way it did, but the, we had a couple strong gusts that pushed the burn up into the private side and it started running into the, um, up in the brush. And I was on the wrong side of that brush because <laughs> I got cut off, uh -huh. and me and three other guys. So my first instinct was to uh, cut in line. I mean, that's what they taught teachings. You see um, fire, go on the edge, pick it up and try to, try to cut it off. So that's what we started doing. And the fire was moving too quick for us, especially with just four people. Um, the rest of the crew was on the other side, on the safe side. So I, I told the guys, hey, pull out. Um, let's try to go a little bit further out where we could try to pick it up with time. Tried that, didn't work. Same thing, the fire kept kept moving on us quicker than we wanted. And then uh, finally, we just pulled back, looked, looked at the situation. Um, and the captain was like, hey, just try to make a run for it. He was yelling at us, like, make a run to the bottom and see what, I mean, pretty much see what happens uh, for lack of a better explanation. Well, we all kind of just took a deep breath stepped back and, and gave it all. We ran, crossed, dove on the other side of the bottom. And it was hot. It was really hot. Um, like I thought I thought my clothes were on fire, but they weren't. Um, I jumped up, started patting myself, and I thought it was a bit. Um, luckily, we all we all came out of that unscathed. And uh, um, it was a, it was a learning situation for me. I was like, wow, man, I can't believe we were in that, that, that position. Um, and looking back now, it's, it's, it's even like, man, that was so such a small thing that happened turned into a big thing and it could have been prevented. I mean, if we would have took the time to do things right when, I mean, like now we put, you're, you're in that situation on a hotshot crew, the winds pick up. The first thing we say is, hey, let's, let's stop, let's hold up for now. Let's see what these wind give us, uh, see what the fire does um, and we'll move on. If either we engage or we just step back and kind of more on the defensive, something simple like that. Um, the second one was a little bit more scarier. We were on actual fire. It was, um, what was the name of that fire in the LP? Uh, the big one, oh, the Zaka. It was a Zaka fire in the LP. And um, that one, it was two of us, uh, two crews formed up as a strike team. And um, half, uh, one, one crew was on one side and the other crew on the other side were kind of chunking line. And there was an island um, 
that picked up, the winds picked up, the island caught, uh, sparked back up and, it, and made a little push. And the other crew was the closest to it. And they had, literally had to drop their stuff and take off running because it, it pushed a little harder than they thought it was going to happen. And luckily nobody got hurt, but it was close. Like, I mean, talking to the guys after, they were, they were freaked out. They're like, holy moly, why, why did that happen? Why were we there? And same thing, if they would have, if more people would have known the big picture and maybe some wins and some basic fire behavior, I mean, more than what they teach you, um, it could have been prevented. It could have been like, hey, let's not be here at this time of day or when the winds start to surface or whatnot. Even if we just track the weather, <laughs> somebody just sat there and slang some weather and said, hey, winds are picking up from the south or downhill or something, something to trigger. You mean like, okay, you know what, it's time to pull out. But those are the two biggest ones that come to mind. And, and you look back, like I said, it's, it's something small that got missed and it could have been prevented. Totally. So you spoke to training a little bit there. Um, my next question is just like, in what ways can we sort of um, reform the way that we're utilizing or training or just operating these these crews, uh, these inmate crews? Um, do you have any any oh. sort of specific suggestions for it? Oh man, it's hard, especially now. Like yeah. I don't know what the bonus are now, but right. Looking back, I think I know. I, I mean, maybe I'm being unrealistic with it, but. I mean, if they got more people to help them, uh, more in depth, I guess, uh, go past the basic stuff that they do teach them. Um, like uh, firing operations is a big one. So you you could see the difference between a hotshot crew firing, doing a firing operation and an inmate and crew doing a firing operation. They have to be micromanaged because if not, they do the wrong stuff right away. We've been in situations where they light wrong or they light the wrong piece or they're on the wrong side. Um, and you're like, oh, you gotta jump in and cut the piece off, whatnot. Um, and it's, like I said, sometimes just things get missed or one dude goes, thinks he knows what he's doing, he doesn't. So more in depth, like with burning operations, something that would help them with what they do. Cause they do burn, they do do burn operations, right? Um, they do hazard falling, um, stuff like that where they go more in depth. Their training for, when I was there for hazard falling was just, you're 212 and you're pretty much blessed. And here you go, now go start falling trees. Um, if you, I mean, for knowing what we know now, I think uh, they need to go more in depth uh, as far as falling trees. Because when I was a sorry anime crew, I dropped some trees I shouldn't have been dropping. And I'll be the first one to admit it. Um, knowing now, I just thought that's how they ran back then. Hey, drop that tree. Okay, cool. I'm going to put in my cuts. Um, there was no in-depth size up. It was more like, okay, that's a big tree. It's leaning that way. Um, I think I can get it. And we went from there. I mean, you shot it. And I mean, like I said, a lot of times I think we got lucky. Um, I had a few close calls with, with chainsaws where I got my, my, my chaps based on complex um, falling operations or with hangups and whatnot, um, not knowing um, more of a, a hangup situations, what, what could happen, um, kind of just, you kind of just kind of guessing, you're like, okay, I think I can get this like this, and let's hope it comes out right. So, I mean, the part where I'm, I'm thinking it's unrealistic is, so they have such a fast um, turnaround rate with the inmates so, I mean, you might have a dude that's, that's there for a year. You might have half your crew that comes in and goes because they can't hack it. Or they're just um, um, just bad apples. They don't want to, they, they don't listen. They don't want to do the work. They think it's too hard and they say, screw you. And then the foreman rolls them up or the staff roll them up. Um, because you do have, I mean, a lot of that. The turnaround rate's high in there. Um, like I said, when I was there, um, if you looked at the foreman wrong, he didn't like it. He could roll you up on the spot. It sounds like a little, it's a little bit more different now because they have a lack of numbers. They're trying to keep bodies in seats. Um, it sounds like you get away with a little bit more. Um, 
So, I mean, back then it was, I could see why it was hard and why they, why you wouldn't want to spend so much time on, on certain individuals um, based on their length of stay. Mm -hmm. You never know. They might do something dumb and get rolled up. I mean, one week they're the best cutter on the crew, the next week they're gone. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I just think they're the, the more in-depth training would, would benefit them. And I mean, however they can make that work, I, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're seeing that for sure. And you mentioned that you'd been sort of keeping up on policy and some of these things, this legislation that's coming through. Do you have any, um, I guess, any input on on what's what you're seeing coming through? I think it was like California Bill 2157 that Newsom put through. <laughs> I was, I saw it, I was, I couldn't, I was like, I'm gonna forget this number for sure. Um, but are you seeing that, are you feeling hopeful about these, about that kind of thing or about about that legislation? Oh yeah, of course. Um, I think it's a good thing. It's, it's a it's a good uh, a stroke in the right direction, um, especially for the people that are um, fully committed into this. Like, if you're really going to come out and do good, um, apply for that. And I mean, take advantage of it. I tell the people whoever's going to listen to this, and if they're an ex inmate and they have the opportunity to take advantage of it, I say go for it. Um, my partner that's on the crew with me right now, he's an ex inmate. He's also a senior with me. Um, he's been he's been doing all the footwork on it. Um, so I've been kind of getting information off of him. And uh, he says it's a good thing. He says uh, there's not much that would uh, disqualify you from it um, based on history of being incarcerated and whatnot. Um, I mean, he says for the most part, if you made it into the camp system, you, you should qualify for the, um, to get your records to you. And I, and I think it's, like I said, it's, it's a good opportunity for people that are serious about turning things around and, and making the best of the situation. Um, one thing me and him talked about earlier today was, um, um, like, so I told him, like, what, what's your opinion on, on, on the cruise and whatnot? And he, he, I mean, for himself, obviously, it was a good thing because he turned his life around and, and made a good of it. But there is, I mean, you're going to have the majority of people that do parole and, and don't make nothing of themselves and and keep on doing bad. And, and then one thing that always comes up with people, and, and you can see it, I mean, on the people you do see that are success stories that did make it out and did do something with it, um, they had support. Um, I mean, myself, I had my wife, um, she supported me, my family supported me regardless of what I was, I was going through. Um, they always had faith in me. He, he went through the same thing, he had his wife, they supported him. Um, the other guy that I said pro maybe less than a year ago, a year ago, he had his family and his girl supporting him. And then you have those people that don't have support, they just have themselves, they just kind of get out and fall right back into that lifestyle they had before they, before they, uh, when they got locked up. And that's the hard part, I guess, uh, for them, because they don't have um, the information that some of us got or, or the people that could lead them in the right direction. Like my cousin led me into the, the, the college um, and that Wallet Academy, uh, I mean, the Wallet Academy. Um, some of these people don't have that. They get out and they don't have nothing. They have to kind of fend for themselves right away. Um, I mean, every situation is different. I can't make excuses for them, but that's the reality. That's what happens. Uh, why a lot of these people just fall back and, and keep getting in trouble. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you really want some bad, you want change, um, there is programs out there that there are people that wouldn't help you. Um, I'm one of them. I, I This guy that paroled within a year, uh, I bumped into him when he was an uh, inmate hand crew, we were doing a burn together. And he, I mean, I have a, a lot of times people come up to me, ask me this and that. And he was just, he asked the right questions. He was like, hey, um, how do I get in? And so I kind of give him, the, I, I have a, a, 
the basic information I give people because <laughs> it's a lot. And then I have the other information that people, if they actually keep looking me up. Um, so I told him straight up, like, it sounds like you're interested. You're getting out real soon. Um, Google me, Google the base, give us a call and we'll go from there. The dude, the same day he got out, he, he Googled the base number, he called me up and he just followed up and he did all the right things. So that showed me that he was, <clears throat> he was committed. He, he did more than a lot of people do. Some people just call you, okay, thank you. And then they're a follow-up and they expect just to get hired on the spot. And it's like, it's not, it's not how it works, especially for an established hotshot crew. You have people waiting in line trying to get on this crew. So, I mean, you gotta, you gotta show me what sets you apart from these people. And, and he did that. Obviously he didn't get on with us. He got on with another crew, but talking to his overhead, he, he, he stood out and they want him back. Um, so that was, to me was like, uh, a good thing. I was like, wow, okay. I, I helped somebody out that needed to help, guided him where he needed to go, and the rest is, was him. I mean, he, he did all the footwork, he did all the hard work. Um, so that you can, if you're really um, wanting that change, um, you just got to put your right foot forward and, and go through with it. I mean, it's not going to be easy. That's one thing I tell people it's not going to be easy. I mean, I, I had a hard time at first, um, but you just got to stay, stay on the course and, and, and keep pushing through. Find I mean, if one door gets shut on your face, find another one. I mean, it's, it's the same thing like fire, fighting fire. If one ridge doesn't work out, look for the next ridge or look for the next road. It's the same thing I tell people. It's, it's, it's the same concept, just different situations. Um, so it's up to the individual. I mean, I've, I've seen a few that don't make it, that get on, um, fall back into drugs while they're on the cruise and they get fired or whatnot. Um, then you have a few that, the very few that do make something out of it. And those are the people that you you, you want to help. Those are the people that you do want to go out of your way for. And, and hopefully those people hear this and, uh, and do something with it. Yeah, that's incredible. I hope they hear too. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, I know it's a case by case basis and it's probably very much dependent on the individual, but uh, from your experience, do you, do you know of anybody, do you know of situations where hiring agencies are discriminatory towards uh towards people that were formerly incarcerated or i know you didn't really it didn't seem like you had a lot of that experience because you were able to sort of um you took these opportunities and you were able to get some schooling um but from your experience and from what you've heard from other people is there a problem with that or are they usually pretty open to to allowing those or to, to providing those opportunities um so just like inmates, you have your good and your bad. It's the same thing for agencies and hiring people. Like if I was to go walk into a local city department or something, I'm pretty sure they look at me because I, I have a lot of tattoos. I'm heavily tattooed up. Uh, and I walked in, if I wasn't covered up, I'm pretty sure they would, uh, they would judge me right away. And I've seen it where they kind of look at, the first thing they look at is my arms and my neck. And then uh, you get that, oh, okay, they're, they're, they're sizing me up. And obviously the first thing you see is the tattoos. Um, but... Um, not, I mean, it's a hard one. It's hard to say that I know for a fact people discriminate. I mean, I have my assumptions, I have my feelings towards it, and I'm pretty sure people do, but there is people out there that don't. Um, this crew was one of them. Um, like I said, we have two permanents right now. They're ex-inmates. They, they look past that. Aaron was the first one that I felt he was genuine um, when he hired me. He was just like, he looked at me, he's like, hey, dude, what can you do? What do you know? You got good references from where you've been let's do this. And he didn't, he never asked me about my past. He never, um, um, try to be like, um, 
what did I say? Uh, he never was poking around at it. He judged me for what I was giving him at the moment. And after that, he got to know me. We became really good friends. We To this day, we're still good friends. We hang out a lot. Um, the same thing for the, the, the Soup Now band was the same way. Um, he's actually uh, thought a lot about how to be different um, with people like me. And, and he's awesome. He's an awesome dude. And But there is, I mean, there is discrimination out there. I don't care what anybody says. Um, it, it's it's It sucks because... There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it's gonna happen if that person feels that way about ex-inmates. Um, that's his right. I mean, you can't take that from him. And the only thing you can do is try to change his, his views or, or inform him on, hey, you know, there's a few of us that are different. There's a few of us that, that can be productive for you and your agency or whatever it is we're trying to do. Um, have I heard stories? Yeah, um, some people, cause I mean, not all of us, I mean, have the demeanor that we need um, and I'm talking about ex-inmates coming out, trying to get a job that, that we need for, for job interviews or, or, or the vocabulary for, for it. There's people out there that still have that slang um, that all they know is the inmate firefighting system and they try to get a job because they, they were good at it in there, um, but they need help. And there's, there's is people out there that help you out that. There's a, 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 one of the patrols in our forest, um, super nice state. I won't say her name too, because I, I didn't ask her permission, but. She actually does uh, um, interview uh, practice with people. She does resume building um, and she don't ask you who you are. She just, if you hit her up and and uh, you apply for the things she's doing and, and you, she gets, you get accepted, she helps you out. So there is people out there willing to help out, but it's, it's a toss up. You have your, I mean, it's 50-50. I mean, my best assumption, I don't have numbers on that and I don't have everybody's story, but it's happened, yes. Um, is it something that people should use that as a crutch? I don't think so. If it happens, you see it, move on, go to the next person. Um, there is someone out there that will hire you across the state. Totally. Yeah, so I, I love the idea of like kind of getting like, just like finding somebody that can sort of not advocate for you, but just can be a good resource for you and can kind of help you out through that process. And I'm wondering if there were any other resources that you utilized or that you might know about that uh, could be useful for, um, for ex-inmates, for people that are maybe maybe in that sort of lingo right now, where they're or limbo, excuse me, where they're they're freshly out or they want to get on a on a Fed crew or something like that. Um. So as far as resources go, I, I, there's not a lot. Um. Not that I know of. Um. I'm sure if 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 you ask around, I mean, the, yeah. the first thing I would do if I was serious about it is, I mean, because the Feds obviously they'll they'll pick you up before anybody else. Um. And that's not to, to knock the fans or anything, but because um, a lot of them dudes, um, they know they know what it's like uh, to find people who want to work hard and that person that gets gets fully involved, especially. So I remember for a while there, there um, when people heard about experience, they, oh, he's an ex-inmate. Oh, a lot of things I would hear from certain people, oh, that dude knows how to work hard. And that's the first thing they would say was, oh, he's an ex-inmate, he knows how to work hard. Um, and they look for that. Um, it just, you just hope that you get that one out of 10 that's, that's willing to change. As far as resources go, I mean, the advice I would give anybody is call anybody in the feds, whether it's an engine, a hotshot crew, and ask them, like, hey, do you know somebody I can talk to, or do you know about a program, or about this or that? And I mean, like I point people into the Wildland Academy. If they're from Southern California, say, hey, check out this academy, see if it's for you. Um, 
up here, you have the CCCs um, where you tell people, hey, check out the CCCs and, and, and see if, if you like it. Um, mm -hmm. Some people do check it out and they stick with it. Some people check it out and they use that as a stepping stool to come towards the feds. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it would have to start from in there. I mean, if there was, if there was some resource for people, um, whether it be transitional living or the prop information um, that just got passed the bill, um, it would have to come from in there. And I don't see that happening unless it's a, a CEO or a, a foreman or a captain that's um, trying to help somebody out that he sees is worth their time. Because there's people that do that. Um, I had a couple captains call me or reach out to me saying, hey, I got these dudes you, you, you might want to look at. And, and I'll follow through with it. I'll be like, all right, cool, send me their information or have them call me. Um, and that's kind of the only information. I wish I had more information. I, I did. I really do. No, it's all good. I can, uh, I can also do some, some searching and kind of call some people. It'd be nice to provide a few of those resources, like maybe in the show notes or whatever for the podcast. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the only thing I have right now. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have that in there. You don't have people. The only thing you have in there coming outside of the CEOs and, and the captain's form is, is maybe some local uh, chaplain or Bible study guy that comes in on, on a Tuesday and it kind of just goes over um, um, information like that. If he's willing to, um, I got I got lucky when I was in in, in uh, uh, Santa Clarita, um, the last uh, camp I was at before parole, um, the Bible study guy that came there, um, his name was Tommy. Uh, awesome dude, real, real helpful. Um, I started going to Bible studies with him and then he kind of got to know me, started talking to me, asked me if I was interested in doing this when I got out and I said, yeah. Um, and he, it's funny, he, the email I have right now um, was actually built by him. He's the one that set it up for me and um, gave me the information when I got out. So I hit him up when I got out and he goes, here's your, 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 um, your name, your username, your password. <laughs> And that's how I got that. And to this day, I still have that email. And it's, it's weird. Um, but yeah, he, he was real uh, helpful with that information stuff like that. He would tell you, hey, there's these programs or this and that. But I mean, one person for one camp compared to, what is it, 30 some camps across the state. So, I mean, odds ain't good or it ain't in the favor of the inmate trying to, trying to get information. Totally. That's amazing, though. I mean, just to have that one person that is willing to to sort of step up and, and help you out. That's, that's pretty incredible. And to have had that big of an, uh, of an influence. Um, do you, why do you, why do you like fire? We'll lighten it up, lighten it up a little bit here. Like what, what are you, uh, why have you sort of stuck with it all these years? Like, what do you, what's the draw? The biggest thing, um, I was being outdoors fighting fire. It, it does it for me. Like, um, I've never been an outdoors kind of guy. I grew up in the city. I didn't know nothing else aside from city living. Um, and then when I started finding fire in there, um, traveling was like exciting for me. Like, oh man, I'm going to somewhere where I've never been before. And it's like, I mean, you gotta remember I was a kid, grew up in a bad neighborhood and that's, that's all I knew. So when I got to a mountaintop or I got flown to a mountaintop, dropped off. And to me, it was like, I looked down, I was like, whoa, it was like, it took me back. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like I'd never done any of this before. I mean, you see stuff on TV that people do and it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. But actually getting into it firsthand and I mean, it sounds crazy and I say people all the time, but being out there suffering, I mean, cold, hot, sweating, tired, and, and you got the people next to you doing the same thing. It, it's, it's an awesome feeling. Like I said, I know I'm crazy, um, but you've been through it. You were a hot shot, you know the feeling. Um, I relate. <laughs> it's an awesome feeling and, and um, 
it's just the people that I work with make it even more better. And I love it. Um, I'm good at it. And that's, that's another thing is like, I mean, if, if, if I wasn't good at it, I think I would have left her. I would have been like, I'm out. I, I'm not doing any good here. Um, and another feeling that I have that's awesome is um, my kids, my son, he's, he's six. And I send him pictures of where I'm at and the fires I do and the burns we do. And he just gets blown back. He says, wow, dad, that looks cool. And then like hear them tell their friends or, or you know, my dad's a firefighter. And obviously I'm a force technician, technician but, <laughs> but yeah, to me, it's like, oh man, that, that's an awesome thing. Just hearing them talk. And, and um, I started off doing all this for them. Obviously I wanted a better future for them than, than I had, but um, I started off for them and it just, it, it's worked out. It, it's, I tell my Sue, my current Sue, I tell everybody else, the day I'm not having fun anymore is the day I leave. Um, so right now it's, it's been fun. I go to work with a smile on my face. I look forward to seeing my dudes. Um, that first week uh, when the seasonals first come on, it's like, you get this feeling of excitement. You're like, oh man, the guys are coming in. We're going to go train. You look forward like I said, to getting your butt kicked and you're just like, and you, I mean, when you're going through your suffering, you're hurting, but after the day is over, you like look back and you're like, yep, we did that. And now I'm going home, I'm gonna rest up and I'm gonna do it again tomorrow. Um, so it takes a little bit of craziness <laughs> to, to like this, um, but that's the biggest thing for me is that the way it started, where I'm at now and where I see myself going. I mean, um, I, I don't see no, no downfalls right now. So as long as my body can hack it, as um, long as my wife doesn't uh, go mad on me, uh, yeah, you know, with the, being away so much. And uh, that's it. I mean, the only thing that would change my mind, like I said, if I'm not happy anymore or if uh, a life-changing event happened. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Knock on wood. <laughs> well, yeah. that's awesome, Mondo. I really appreciate it. Um, I don't have any other questions. If you wanted to add anything else, I don't know if, you, if I missed anything or if you wanted to. Um, I was trying to think there was something. So I seen, I, uh, I came across uh, your Instagram, your, your, your story, your feed. Um, people were asking questions. I was trying to, I was trying to jot some of them down to try to have answers for them because I wanted to give them some, some answers to the questions they had. And yeah. I, don't even, I don't know where I left my paper. At. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember someone said a close call. Someone said that the, the perception the public have mm -hmm. uh, trying to make sure I answer some of their questions. Cause I do want to give them answers and I do, uh, I do hope people get some good information out of this. Um, yeah. I'm glad you were able to see that and kind of get an idea. Cause I was, I was coming up with my own questions and I was like, you know what, this is something that has such a public, there's, there's so much um, sort of public perception surrounding this topic that I don't know if my questions alone will really touch on everything that people want to know about. So I really did put it out to the world. Like, what do you guys want to know? And um, I tried to, tried to summarize a lot of the questions into, into what I just asked, but um, trying to think of anything. Oh, there was one. There was one that wanted to know if <laughs> if prison food or fire camp food is better. <laughs> um, definitely fire camp food. Uh, I, I can't hesitate by saying that. Yeah, fire camp food is way better. <laughs> I was like, I feel like I know the answer to this, but I still am kind of wondering. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I, I hope this reaches the right people and, and I can help someone out. And uh, if you're interested in, in reaching out, by all means, reach out to me. I'll do my best to, to reply um, for those people who do know me on Instagram. Um, I won't put my name out there because I get like a million messages. I get yeah. enough as it is already. And I, I do my best to reach out and, and help people out. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I do have a busy life. I got to tell people if you're interested and if yeah. you're really interested in this, 
Google where I'm at um, and give us a call. Um, but please keep in mind that we are busy. Um, most of us have lives outside of fire. Um, yeah, we uh, like me, I have five kids and my wife. And, and when I'm not fighting fire, I'm trying to um, give them 100% of my attention um, for obvious reasons. I love my family. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in this, I say reach out. Um, if you've hit roadblocks, don't don't uh, don't get discouraged. Just look for another road, find something else. And and there is you don't have to be on a hot shot crew right away. Um, start start off on a Type Two IA or engine something. Get a feel for it, learn from it. Um, and then if you end up on a hot shot crew, awesome. If you end up going further than that, awesome. If if it's if you find out it's not for you, hey, by all means, move on and find something else. Whatever makes you happy. Um, this is my advice. Find what makes you happy. Thanks again to Mondo for taking the time to speak with me during his first week back home following the fire season. I feel incredibly privileged to have been able to chat with him about his experiences, and I hope you guys enjoyed the inside look at his path to working on a federal hotshot crew. Mondo had a myriad of useful suggestions, not just for formerly incarcerated firefighters, but for anyone who is interested in getting into fire, regardless of their path. So my ask today is that you share this podcast episode with someone who may need it, whether they've expressed interest in fire but haven't begun to pursue it, or they have a path similar to Mondo's and could use some inspiration or maybe even a role model. I'd also love it if you could subscribe to Life With Fire on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review if you are liking what you hear. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.